Right, so what we need to do now is I need to pretend that we're starting the service all over again. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. It's lovely to see you all here at Bill Helmy Church this morning. And before we go home, we're going to wonder why I'm laughing, but I'm not going to explain, just to keep an element of mystery about that. But we're going to begin our worship in the words of uh, our first hymn, which is number 211, Today I Await. Let's worship God together. as we sing uh, My Jesus, My Saviour, and we'll sing this one through twice.
moment to pray together. Let's pray. Father, we take this moment, we take this hour, and we set it aside. We've come here today for a host of different reasons. Maybe some out of habit, maybe some out of need, maybe some out of desire. Lord, we thank you that you take us as we are, even as you want us to become more than we are. And so we ask that your spirit would take and use this time to bring insight, to bring understanding, to bring healing, to bring strengthening. Thank you that you are a personal God who knows us better than we know ourselves, knows us intimately, and who is closer to us than the very breath in our bodies and the blood in our veins. Thank you that we can be here today before you exactly as we are and that you meet us where we are. And so we pray that you'd be known to us today, that you would lift our hearts and minds, our souls, to meet your gaze, and know in that gaze that we are held and loved and treasured beyond anything we could ever know. Lord, we remember today, as we've sung, that you are a king, Help us as we reflect today on what kind of king you are. Give us wisdom and insight, not just for our intellect, but for our living, so that we serve you in ways befitting the kind of king that you are. So hear our prayers because we ask them all in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask Carl if you put up a picture for us. And the next one, yes, we're thinking a wee bit about winners this morning, about some winners. What does it mean to be a winner? There's some people you might know. I wonder if you recognise any of these people. Who do you recognise here? Anybody recognise anyone? Do you not watch television? Do you not read the papers? Do you not go to the movies? Who have we got? Bottom left is? Why is Elon a winner? <laughs> Maybe he's not a winner. <laughs> Why is Elon a winner? What's he famous for? Engineering. Engineering. And he's famous for that, but he's famous for what the engineering has done for him. Elon, I think, currently is the richest man in the world. Worth 200 billion, that's with a B, billion pounds, okay? Whether he's still got his 200 billion after buying Twitter, I'm not quite sure, but he's so he looks a very successful business person, or so he would like us to think. So I see what right at the top left, who's that? Taylor Swift. Come on. Get with the program, people. Taylor, yes. Taylor. Taylor Swift. Well done, Andy. That's right, that's Taylor Swift, recording artist. So Taylor has sold 114 million albums worldwide. She's a hugely popular and famous singer. Top right. 
Well done, well done, Julia Roberts. Yeah, she's one of the world's most famous and uh, best remunerated actresses. There's a nice story I heard a wee while ago that when Steven Soderbergh, who's a director, wanted Julia to take a part in a movie called Ocean's Eleven, which if you haven't seen, you should do, because it's very good. He was desperate to get her, but in those days, she was getting 20 million for a picture. So he put a copy of the script in the post to her, and he put a 20 pound note in it, or 20 dollar bill in it, and uh, he put a wee note saying, I hear you're getting 20 for every film you do these days. <laughs> And she thought that was so funny, she took the part. So that was, that was Julia, very famous. Bottom right, anybody know who that guy is? Well done, yes, that's, uh, Al no, I was going to say Alfie Halland, that's his dad. I can't remember his name, Erling Halland, who's just signed for Manchester City and is already breaking all the goal scoring records in the Premier League. He's a beast, he's a phenomenon. Now, he's Norwegian, so he's not actually going to the World Cup. But there was a petition that he should go to the World Cup and be able to play half an hour for any team that really needed a goal scorer to come and play. But he's, he's phenomenal. And as a Liverpool fan, I have no bones about saying that I hate that guy. Okay? But he's, he's really, really good. Erling Haaland, so he's, he's a phenomenon. It's really unfair that any team has him in their team. But I want you, just on the basis of that, I'm going to give you just five minutes to talk about this question at your tables. What are the qualities of a winner? What would you say are the qualities of a winner? So I'll just give you five minutes to have a chat about that at your tables and then we'll do a wee bit of feedback. Okay folks, um, any feedback from what you've been speaking about or thinking about what makes, what are the qualities of a winner? Or have you just been gabbing about the weather for the last few minutes? You have, haven't you? Carl. Uh, hard work. Hard work, okay, that's a good answer. Yeah, so hard work. You're not going to be able to get far in life unless you do hard work. Andy, you've got a whole list there, well done. Resilience. Resilience. Good answer. Yeah, do you want to give me another one? Being competitive, okay, yeah, so you kind of want to get on, you want to be the best, yeah, okay, good. Any other answers? Talent. Talent, yeah, talent, so people people have got talent. Well, we were saying in our group that talent's one thing, you have to harness the talent and put lots of work in. Say that, yes. Being brave. Being brave, yeah, sometimes you have to be brave to be a winner, take risks, that's right, you have to be brave, good answer, thank you. Anything else? Dedication, yeah, Harry? Interesting, interesting. So being happy and enjoying life. Because in a way, by putting up those pictures, I was funneling into you into one idea of what a winner is. But there may be a completely different view of what a winner is. It might not be the billions, and it might not be the success, but that's, we may get into that later. Okay, anything else? Okay, thank you. Good discussion. When it comes to the animal kingdom, boys and girls, who's the winner? Who's the king of the jungle? Do we know? Andy. The lion. Oh, yeah, Carl's already got his picture mostly coloured in. Well done. Yeah. Excellent. Nice colouring. Why is the lion the king of the jungle? Why do you think the lion's the king of the jungle? Carl. One of the biggest. Is he? 
You can think of the elephant, or you can think of the rhino, or the hippo, or the giraffe. They're all bigger. Hmm? He's got the biggest teeth. Quite possibly, yes. Andy, why do you think the lion's the king of the jungle? She's found me out. They don't even live in the jungle. What would you say? The king of the savannah? <laughs> the king of the plain? Okay, right. So why is the lion the king of the plain and the savannah? Top of the food chain. Top of the food chain, that's right. So yeah, they're big, they're fierce, they're strong, and they can pretty much eat anything that they want to eat, can't they? So, so that's why. Yes, sit up. Pardon, darling? Intimidating. Intimidating? I'm intimidated by a primary one knowing the word intimidating. <laughs> Fantastic vocabulary. There's lots of good reading going on in your house. Well done. That's a very good word. He's very intimidating. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, we're thinking a little bit about winning. We're thinking a little bit about kings. We're thinking a little bit about what it means to be powerful. And the story that I'm going to flag up to you today, and I'm just going to give you an overview, is an old story that some of you might have heard of, some of you might have read, and it's called The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Put your hands up if you know this story. The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Good! Okay, well if you don't, I would encourage you to go away and either watch it, because there's a good movie, or, or read it. But the story of The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe starts with four children. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And they're evacuated to their uncle's old house during the Second World War. It's a massive big house. And while they're there, the children discover a magic wardrobe that can take you into a land called Narnia. And Narnia is full of strange and wonderful creatures. But it soon becomes clear that not all is well in Narnia. Because in Narnia, it's always winter, but never Imagine that, this weather, all the time, but never Christmas. The land has fallen under the power of an evil white witch. And all the good creatures in Narnia are living in fear of her. But there are rumours of a great hero called Aslan. And Aslan is on the move. And when Aslan comes, everything's going to get sorted out. That's what's being said. But in the meantime, Edmund, who's not a very nice boy, betrays his brother and his sisters to the White Witch, putting them in terrible danger. And once the witch has got the information out of Edmund, she turns on him, stops being his friend, and begins to make life miserable for him. Edmund's only hope, the children's only hope, and indeed Narnia's only hope, is Aslan. And Aslan, it turns out, is a lion. He's the king of the beasts. And as you'd expect, the children are more than a little nervous about meeting this huge, rather scary lion. Is he safe? Lucy says. Safe? Says her host, Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's good. And indeed he is when they finally meet him. He's everything that they had hoped for. He's wise, he's strong, he's noble, he's good, but he's definitely not safe. And so it's really not looking good for the white witch because Aslan's come, he's on the move. But then the witch comes to meet them 
with Edmund as her prisoner. And the witch has a claim on Edmund's life. Because according to the deep magic of Narnia, all traitors are hers to do with as she pleases. And having betrayed his brother and his sisters, Edmund is seen to be a traitor. And traitors deserve to die. And there's no getting out of it. And it looks like that's what's going to happen. Edmund's going to be killed until Aslan makes a private bargain with the witch. And secretly he offers his own life in the place of Edmund's. So that night Aslan walks to the stone table where the witch and all her evil followers have gathered. And the paws that could have swatted them all like flies stay still and the jaws that could have torn them apart stay closed. And there they bind him and they shave him and they beat him and they mock him and they spit at him. He's just a big pussycat, they laugh. What were we afraid of? And in those moments, Aslan really does not look like a king. He looks completely helpless and defeated. And they drag him to the stone table. And as the witch raises her knife to kill him, she says, You fool. Did you think that by all this you would be able to save the human traitor? Now I will kill you instead of him, as our pact was, and so the deep magic will be appeased. But when you're dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? Understand that you have given me Narnia forever. You've lost your own life and you've not saved his. In that knowledge, despair and die. And with that, the knife falls and Aslan is killed. And it looks like all hope has died with him. Until we realise a few pages later that there are depths to the deep magic that the witch knew nothing about. And this is not the end. But I'll leave that there for now. And if you want to know what happens, you're just going to have to get the book and read it. Or maybe get someone to read it to you. But if that story sounds familiar, then there's a reason for that. And it's because C.S. Lewis was a Christian and what happened to Aslan in the story reflects something of what happened to Jesus. And what we're going to hear now is the Bible story that is the set reading in the lectionary for this particular Sunday, the last Sunday in the Christian year. The lectionary, if you don't know, is a three-year cycle of readings that take you through most of the Bible uh, in a three-year period. And there's set readings for each Sunday. So this is the set reading for this Sunday, uh, a day that's known as the Feast of Christ the King. And this is the story of how Jesus met his end on the cross. And Pat's going to read it for us. called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Thanks, Pat. The thought that I want to leave you with, just as we go into the break, is this. Why does the church choose to read this particular text just as we're entering the season of Advent? Why focus on Jesus' death just as we're about to celebrate his life? We'll think a wee bit more about that after you've had your teas and coffees. So, we're going to begin uh, the second half with uh, another hymn, and it's one hopefully you'll know, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, and we'll remain seated to sing.
now for a few minutes. You working away at your packs. There's some amazing lions coming on there. I think there may even be a crown for you to make to be a king and a queen. So have a look in your packs, and we'll look forward to seeing what you've you've made of them uh, in a wee while. So why this text, this difficult text from Luke, on this particular Sunday? Why are we thinking about crucifixion and death? Just we are about to go into all the joy of Advent and Christmas where we remember the gift of Jesus' life. Well, there is a method in the madness of the people who put the lectionary readings together all those years ago. And what they're trying to show us is what kind of a king Jesus is going to be. We've thought a wee bit this morning about what winners look like and kings are meant to be winners. They're strong. They're in control. They're dominant. They're not supposed to end up dying on stone tables or wooden crosses. And yet the cross was no accident of history. It was something that Jesus knew was coming. It was something that he chose. There were times when he could have walked away. There were times when he could have used his own power to overpower those who were trying to capture and kill him. But he let things run their course. Why? Well, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews tells us why. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And what joy, we might well wonder. The joy of rising again and returning to his father, of going back to heaven, well, no doubt that was part of it. But many commentators think that the joy that's being spoken of here is the joy of knowing that what he was doing in his life and death and resurrection and ascension was making atonement between humanity and God, healing the breach between us. As John reminds us in his first letter, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, in giving himself up on the cross, made humanity at one with God again. That's the literal meaning of the word atonement, at one in Jesus, says the Apostle Paul, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. So that bridge has been mended once and for all by Christ. And all that remains is whether we will choose to cross that bridge and start living into the reality that Christ has won for us or keep trying to do things in our own sweet way without him. And this amazing upside-down story that the church keeps telling, Jesus is indeed king, but he's king in his own unique way, a way that's completely different from our normal concept of kingship. He wins by seeming to lose. He overcomes by submitting to God's will and our wrath. He accepts death 
but only so he can annihilate it. He inherits the world by giving himself up for the world. And all of this comes home beautifully in a really striking image from the book of Revelation. In chapter 5, the Apostle John is having a vision where he's in the presence of God and it's crucial for the future of the world that a particular scroll is opened and its contents read. But nobody's found who's worthy to open the scroll. And John finds himself overcome with sorrow. But then, says John, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then, says John, I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Did you pick that up? The elder says, the lion has triumphed. But when John turns to look for the lion, what does he see standing in the very center of the throne? A lamb. Looking as though it's been slain. This is our God, folks. Our God, our Savior, is both lion and lamb. Powerful, awesome, and kingly, and yet at the very same time, selfless, humble, and tender-hearted. This is how our God is. Father, Son, and Spirit, through and through, from beginning to end. It's not that Jesus is the good guy and God's the scary, fierce guy. No, Father, Son, and Spirit. You can't get a, obviously you can't get a fag paper between them in terms of their character. God is both lion and lamb at the same time, all the way through. And when God comes in the flesh, isn't this what we see in Jesus? A kingship that's built not on mere coercive power, but on a far more enduring power, which is that of love. Love for God and love for neighbor, informing his every choice and his every move. And as the king is, so must the citizens of his kingdom be. I took a class with the P6s at Balmedy Primary the other week, and I call this class that religion is useless, just to put the cat among the pigeons and get them thinking a wee bit, and it's always a lively hour. And we talk about some of the reasons that they and other people might think that religion is useless. And I gently debunk some of those arguments with them. But I usually end up by giving that class an example of one real life setting where faith made a difference. And I often turn to Martin Luther King's advocacy of non-violent resistance in the face of America's segregation laws. You know, there were plenty of people lobbying to fight violence with violence in those days. Plenty who wanted to take an eye for an eye. But King saw things differently. He saw things through the lens of Christ. Violence just spawns more violence, he said. 
And we need to find a better way than that. And so based on Jesus' teaching, King advocated the people needed to resist oppression with all their might, but to do so peacefully and publicly. And so they organised their sit-downs and their boycotts and their visits to white-only cafes and their protest marches. And when the mob set about them with clubs or stubbed out their cigarettes on their skin and poured scalding hot coffee over their heads as they sat at the dining tables in these cafes, or when their homes were firebombed or their churches were torched, America was watching and waking up and becoming horrified at what they were seeing. And slowly, things began to change. But equal rights for black folk weren't all that Dr. King was after. His was a wider vision that dared to hope for the redemption, even of those who saw him and people like him as the enemy. And I've always loved this quotation, which seems to me to sum up a lot of the philosophy that he was working by. He said, we shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we shall win you in the process. And then our victory will be a double victory. Do you hear it in those words? The strength and courage of the lion, coupled with the tenderness of the lamb. Folks, this is how Jesus exercised his kingship. In his kingdom, and we see this time and time again in his teaching and in his living, the last are first and the first are last. The powerful are laid low and the humble are lifted high. Those who are wise in their own eyes are shown to be foolish. And those counted foolish are shown to be wise. We look at the cross on this Sunday to remind us that the king who soon to be born in Bethlehem is like no other king that has ever been. He is the Lion of Judah, who is also the Lamb who was slain. Meekness and majesty are at the very heart of our glorious servant king. And it's through his selfless sacrifice that he wins and he wins the whole world. Amen. I'm going to ask Anne if she'll come up now and lead us in our prayers for others. Jesus our King, today we remember what true kinship is and how you died for us to give us everlasting life. Help us to remember that you love all your children in the many nations across the world. We pray for our family and friends and give thanks that our King is with us in our most difficult times and shares in our moments of delight. We ask for your blessing on all those living in fear, conflict, war, poverty, illness, grief, and loneliness. 
to know that you are the one who is with them to offer comfort. We thank you for loving us. Come and be our king in our hearts. Forgive us when we let you down and guide us in your footsteps. King of kings, Lord of lords, Alleluia, eternal king, ever to be worshipped, trusted and adored. Lift up our hearts and let us rejoice that Jesus is king, whose goodness never fails. We ask all this in the king of our love's name. Amen. Thanks, Anne. Okay, there's been some, I've heard some scribbling and some colouring in going on, boys and girls. Do you want to bring your bits and pieces of work out just now? Let's have a wee look at them. That'd be lovely. Let's see what we've got. Okay, Carol, what have we got here? Right, so we've got a good crowd. Excellent, nice colouring. That's lovely. You can cut that out later. And wow, look at that. That's amazing. Beautiful work. Well done. Did you do that all yourself? That's brilliant. That's fantastic. I think I might need to get a photograph. And you did that. Oh, and Annie, you've done a beautiful, colourful crowd. Smash it, thank you. And a very authentic looking lion. Well done. That's a round of applause for Andy. Oh, wow. Look at your beautiful, colourful lion. That's amazing. Well done. Super. Thank you very much. That looks a wee bit like the one we had in the slide earlier on. Do you remember for the play? The lion looks were beautiful colours. Well done, guys. Thank you for that. Super. We're going to close our worship now. And I've closed my folder, so I don't know which hymn it is. Right, yes, it's number 374, which I think picks up on a lot of the themes that we've been thinking about this morning. And you'll know this one, I'm sure, it's called The Servant King.
the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.